Hello, I'm Sharice and I'm going to be leading us through communion today. Um, and as I was preparing for communion this week, I sat down to examine my life and what communion meant to me personally. And each of the elements that we're going to take today represents what Jesus has done for us. And so the first element is bread. And this bread represents Jesus' body that was broken so that we could be made whole. And looking back, I went through a really significant loss in my life last year. And looking back, I remember how Jesus met me in the depth of my pain and my grief. And he never, ever left my side. And I experienced the depth of his mercy and his grace and his love over and over and over again. And so when I eat that bread today, I will remember that Jesus sustains us. He heals us and he wants us to have a really rich and abundant life in him. And the second element is the wine. And this wine represents his blood that was spilled to pay the price for our sins so that we could be a part of God's family. And in the midst of my, of my pain and my grief last year, I also came face to face with my own sin and my own brokenness and my shame. And even in the midst of my anger and my pain and my brokenness, God never looked at me with disgust or condemnation. And he looked at me with, with so much love. And as I was reflecting on that this week, God gave me this image of me standing at the foot of the cross with my sin and my pain and my shame in my hands. And Jesus looks at me, like really looks at me, looks at me in the eye looks at me and my life and everything that I have in my hands and he says let me take that from you I will trade you for freedom and life in me and so when I drink the wine or the juice today I will remember that Jesus sees me he sees my brokenness and my sin and my shame and my grief. And he says, I will gladly trade you for that. So as I invite the communion ushers to come up, I encourage you to imagine yourself at the foot of the cross. Look up at Jesus. What is Jesus saying to you? And are you living a life that honors him and all that he has done for us? So I'm going to invite you to come up. You can come up the sides, grab your elements, and then return to your seats down the middle. And then when everyone has taken one, we will eat together.
26, 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's eat together. And in Matthew 26, 27 to 28, it says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. Please pray with me. I'm also going to pray for the children before they head downstairs. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just so in awe of the depth of your grace and your love and your mercy for us. Your word is alive, your spirit is alive, and you are always working in our lives, God. And we want to know you and grow in intimacy with you, God. We want to live a life that honors you and all that you have done for us, God. So draw near to us as we draw near to you. I also want to pray for the kids as they head down to their service, God. Um, We pray that you, you would encounter them in a fresh new way, God. We want them to experience the depth of your love and your mercy and your grace We want them to understand the hope and the life that we get to have in you, God. So pray that you would meet with them, um, and may your face shine upon them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, kids, you can head downstairs. Thanks, Sharice, for that. That was great to bring reflecting on the adequacy that Christ is enough, even it just fit together. God's fit this service together in so many different ways. So thanks for, for being vulnerable with us, Reese, and for sharing your heart, what God has been doing in your life. Um, may we all be encouraged by that, to do that with one another, share with one another what God is doing. Uh, My name is Pastor Bruce. For those that I haven't met you, either in person or online, we're so glad you're able to join us again um, today, and we're glad that uh, we get to get to to share together a little bit. Those of you that have seen me before know that I have eight grandchildren, and uh, I'm always excited to talk about my grandchildren. Got to see them last, couple of them last night, and uh, was so thrilled my littlest one got to meet his great-grandpa, and so we had a chance to spend a little bit of time with him. And uh, he was just, my littlest, youngest one is just so talkative. You don't understand what he's saying, but he's very talkative. And uh, yeah, But see, that the thing is, I can always brag about my grandkids. There's always things I can tell you about them. My, my, my children, I, I can brag about my children and, my, and their spouses that they've chosen. I love to br- tell stories about my dad and my mom and some of the amazing adventures they've been on. 
I love to talk about my wife and how amazing she is. We can always find things that we want that we can brag about, don't we? Don't, isn't there things you can always find, you can talk about, things you like to talk about that you're proud of? Maybe you're even proud of some of your own accomplishments, some of the, own, the things that you have done in your personal lives. Maybe it's a score on a video game or a certain purchase you made that you got a steal of a deal on. Um, you know, you love to tell the stories about those things, isn't it? Or maybe it's your marks in school. You got certain marks in school and you're going, oh, just so excited about that. And if, if you don't brag about it, I know your parents will probably brag about it. So you're kind of excited about the marks you get in school as well. Or maybe, maybe you could do something really strange. Maybe you could pull your bottom lip up over your nose or something like that. Or maybe you can, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something else you can do. Maybe you can contort your body in a, in a manner that most people going, ooh, that's bizarre. I mean, everybody has things in their life that they can do that very few other people often can't do. And we love, we love to talk about those things. We love to make those things front and center in our lives. But sometimes what happens is we miss out on some other important factors. Now, I don't know about you, but I often have a lot of things that remind me that I, I have alarms that go off at different times of the day. Often, most of my alarms are, are about praying for people, specific individuals, couples, families, whatever. And so I have one that goes off at a certain time in the morning. Actually, I actually have two that go off for, for a certain time in the morning that I pray for. One is for my, my kids and my grandkids. The other is for specific couples and individuals that we're, God has put on our heart to pray for. And so those are reminders because if I don't do that, I, I neglect, I, I forget. And I mean, how many, of you, how many of you were woken up by your alarm this morning? A couple of you, a few of you, some of you did, some of you didn't. But, I mean, we all set alarms, we all set reminders, we, we put sticky notes on the door to remind us to take our lunch or take something to work with us, or we put sticky notes on the fridge to make sure we get the meat out for the night before so, or the morning of so that we have something to eat that night. I mean, we, we put reminders around us all the time to help us remind us to do things. And of course, we, you know, we remind each other. We remind our kids, pick your clothes up. Put, put them, not just pick your clothes up, but put them in the laundry, right? Or to put your socks away, or to hang up your towel, or, or take the garbage out, or take the recycling out, or whatever it might be. We always are reminding people constantly of things that need to be done. And sometimes we need reminders. I remember I had a, a, an, I, I've had one amazing secretary that was just phenomenal. Uh, and she, she would remind me of doing all kinds of things that I would often forget to do. She's going, okay, you've got this meeting coming up. Make sure you do it. It was awesome. It was really great, and a great executive secretary. I have a friend of mine who's got one, and he says, they are worth their weight in gold. If you get a good secretary, you can really stand by you and remind you and make you successful in all that you do. A great spouse or a great friend does the same things. They, were, they remind you of things. They reveal blind spots that you might have. They're gentle in their, in their approach to you and encouraging you in certain directions. You don't know how many times Van just come alongside me and said, Bruce, you need to be more gentle. You need to be a little bit more sensitive to people. You can't just come across like... You have to be careful on how you approach people. And I love that about her. Sometimes I don't like maybe the way when she reminds me of it, but I often 
99% of the time, I know it's true that she needs to remind me of those things. You see, I say all of that because what we're going to talk about is something that we've talked about probably many times. And Paul has talked about it many times. But needless to say, Paul said it again because he, he wants to remind us of how important it is. Sharice reminded us of that this morning. That's why we gather around communion once a month. Is why? Because we want to remind ourselves of how important what Jesus did for us really was and how it impacts our lives. Because it's easy to go, well, yeah, I know all of that. And many of you will just go, yeah, Bruce, forget it. What you're going to say, I've heard that before. I've heard it before. But you need to listen carefully because it's not my words that's sharing. This is what Jesus is sharing. This is what God is sharing through his word. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to remind the same thing to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Notice that. He says, I, you know, I'm reminding you again, and I don't mind reminding you again. But he says, I'm doing it because there's a reason why I want to do it, because it's easy to forget. He says, and then he's, that, notice that first phrase before that. He says, he says this, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Repetition is good. It isn't that you, isn't that why we practice scales? Those of you that pl- play piano, how many of you have, if your kids are in music and you tell them, okay, practice those scales, you know, up and down the keyboard, up and down the keyboard, right? Or the instruments, right? You got to go up and down, up and down, up and down. Why? Because you want it to be a memory muscle. You want it to be automatic in their life. And the same thing, God, Paul says, look, this has to be an automatic in our life. So I'm reminding you, Again, rejoice in the Lord. We'll talk about that later in this book, but he talks about it here. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And I'm reminding you to do that. Because he says in verse 2, there's, there's, there's people out there that are going to come against you. They're evil dogs, he calls them. And they will come against you and force you to do things or encourage you to do things that you don't want to do. And we all know that there's people, there's always a crowd around us who will want to do things differently. There's always kinds of people that will add things to the gospel, add things to the, our life and relationship with God, far beyond what God calls us to do. And God says, no, you need to stay focused on me. It's not, you know, people will make it not about God, they'll make it about everything else but God. But God is center and focus. And, that, and that's what Paul says here. He says, knowing that this, that we can't be distracted from our focus. Our focus has to be on Jesus. That is that verse said, Philippians 3.1. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. The focus is on him. It's easy not to be. When you're driving down the road... It's easy to get distracted by what's going on over here. And you've got the hand on the wheel and you're turning around. And guess what happens? You turn the wheel. It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get off base. It's easy to lose what we need to be focused in on. 
Paul says in, in verse 3, he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying there, we need to put our focus on Jesus, who boast not about our grandkids, not about our family, not about our, our wife. Or, I mean, there's nothing wrong with boasting about those. But we really need to be making sure that we are boasting more about what Jesus is doing than about other things. Bragging about the things that we can do well. It's almost easy to miss it, how Paul slides that in there. But the next, chap, next part of this whole chapter talks, expands on this whole thing about, about focusing, not only focusing ourselves on Jesus, but about what the last part of this verse says about putting no confidence in the flesh. Because it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get distracted. When we don't have faith in Jesus, where do we put our faith? Where do you put your trust, your confidence? Paul says, don't put it in the flesh. Don't put it in that. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, Paul goes on to explain in verses 4 to 8. He exactly begins to outline what it means to put our confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Philippians 3, 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I got them beat. I have more, he says. And then he goes on to explain circumcised in other words he was he was he was brought up right he was literally brought up physically right he was in other words physically he was the right the right way on the eighth day he was he was circumcised and he was of the people of israel he was of the right ethnic background he was of the tribe of benjamin not only was he of the right ethnic group but he was of the right family you know, there's family groupings. You know, some families are, are higher class people than others. And so Paul was of a higher class people. He was of the right family. He was of the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, he stood out head and shoulders above, above all his other people that were part of his family. And in regard to, to living, it says there that he, in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. In other words, he did it right all the time he never messed up never messed up he lived perfectly and then he goes on to say in verse 6 he goes as for zeal in other words as for drivenness passion persecuting the church he was all in he was all in he was driven beyond compare as for righteousness Based on the law, he was faultless. In other words, he had no skeletons in his closet. No things that he had done wrong. He, his reputation was outstanding. Nobody could find anything wrong with his life. He had lived such a great and amazing life. And then verse 7 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And then he says this statement, I consider them garbage that I may claim, may gain Christ. 
You see, he had everything going for him you could ever imagine. Everything. But he says this, I consider it garbage. Consider it garbage. We had friend, neighbors of ours that lived next to us, and we were lived out in the lower mainland. And um, they were on welfare. And one of their parents had passed away, and they came into a sizable chunk of, of money. I think it was about $50,000 or thereabouts. The thing was, and I, I don't know all the rules and ins and outs of all this, but what we were told was, through the local grapevine, was that in order for them to stay on welfare, they, needed, they, needed, they couldn't have this cash in the bank because the welfare would consider it as income. So what they did is they got rid of all, of, uh, all kinds of furniture, bikes, all that kind of stuff. They bought all new stuff so they could continue to live on welfare. Um, they got rid of their couches, lamps, all kinds of stuff. They, they were living next door to us. And so some of the stuff they just kind of put out, I guess, for the garbage to take or something. And we heard that this was going on, and they were just going to get rid of it. And I was looking at it, and I'm going, that's a decent lamp. It's better than the one we got. So I claimed it. They had a couple of bikes. Our kids didn't have any bikes. I'm going, definitely better than the bikes our kids don't have. Or one was a bike, I think one was a tricycle. And so we, we, we claimed them, because they were, they were just throwing them out. They got rid of it, because to them, these good things were garbage. I mean, I felt bad scavenging, but I'm thinking either it goes to the, to the dump or my kids get to enjoy it. And these people were counting these good things as, as worthless. It was nothing to them. You know how they say, you know, one person's treasure is another person's garbage or one person's garbage is another person's treasure? That's what I kind of like I was felt. And I thought... And oftentimes we, we, we think about stuff and we're going, yeah, well, Paul, you know, you, you may have been throwing that stuff away, but to me, man, I, I'm going to claim it because I think those are good things. Marks in school, you know, money, position, family, those things are worth, those are valuable things. I wish I had what you had. And people oftentimes claim stuff that they don't realize is of no value to them, is of little value. And they put their trust in those things that, that, don't, that don't turn out to be anything. I was reading about King David this last week, and I was challenged by him and by King Jehoshaphat, the same, same kind of situation. And King David said this in, in Psalms, Psalms 20, verse 7. He says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then in chapter 33, Psalms 33, 17, he says, A horse is a vain hope for deliverance, despite all its great strength it cannot save. Think about that. Here is David the king saying, I'm not trusting in the horses. I'm not trusting in horses and chariots. I'm not trusting in the ability to fight war. Now let me ask you this question, though. Did David ever lay his sword down and going, Okay, God, you do it all. You do it all. I'm just going to give up. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sit on my throne, put my feet up. I'm not going to do anything. No, no, he didn't do that either. He didn't do that either. 
in, in Second Chronicles, we see the whole story of King Jehoshaphat. And, and I, was, I was reading it through it this week. I thought, he had over 1.1 million man army. That's huge. That's a huge army. Yet he did not put his faith in, that number, in the number of men that he had in his army. His faith was in God, constantly in God. Because he knew that he could not win the war no matter how, how large his army was. He had to trust, put his faith in God. His confidence was in God. Even as Paul said, those things are okay. Jehoshaphat didn't disband the army and going, well, I don't, we don't, you guys don't need to fight. You guys don't need to train anymore. You don't need to exercise anything. Just go home, look after your families. You know, No, he, he still had the army, but his faith was not in that. So I, the first question I want to kind of throw out to you this morning is, what do you put your trust in? Or who do you put your trust in? What do you count on that will, not, that will not change? What relationship, what talent, what knowledge, what degree, what dollar amount, what position, what relationship do we put our faith in, our trust in, that we really need to let go of? I mean, they may be great things. They may be good things. I'm not saying you have to give them up. But are you putting more faith in those things than you need to? Think about it. Just a moment of reflection. What are you putting your trust in that's of high value? Maybe you need some more thoughts. Government, bosses, marks, masks, physical distancing, friendships, technology, social media. What are you putting your faith and trust in? What are we putting our trust in? You see, Paul says, I put no trust in those things. Didn't mean he gave them all up. He didn't cease to be a Jew. He didn't even cease to, to, to participate in some of the Jewish customs. We see that in Acts. He, right up until the time he was sent off to Rome, he, he participated in vows and different things like that. But his faith was not in those things. He's, he didn't put his trust in those things. It's, so, it's a hard, hard line to find, the two of those. His focus was right. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He says this. He says, I want to know Christ. This is where his eyes were. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings. Ooh. I like the first part, don't we, of that? Uh, you know, I, to participate in the power of his resurrection. Who doesn't want to live in the power of his resurrection? But to participate in his sufferings? Oh, that's getting a little closer to... I'm not sure I like that part of it. Maybe I'll just scratch that out of my Bible, Right? Becoming like him in his death? Death. None of us like to face death. 
And so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul got to experience the power of Jesus in his, in, in his life. Jesus changed his life in so many different ways. He changed him from one kind of a guy into another kind of guy. He was a different guy. His name even changed from Saul to Paul because he became so different. I've often talked about the way that God has changed my life over the years. And some of those have been changes recently. They weren't when I became a Christian when I was, I don't know how old I was, three, four, five years old when I first started following Jesus. And I mean, God has brought about changes throughout my entire life. Over and over and over again, God continues to bring changes. Even in this past week, I've been praying for God to bring changes in my life. And I'm seeing how God is bringing about changes time after time after time. And that's part of it. But if my identity, my anger, I've talked about some of these, my lack of compassion, my pride, my self-righteousness, these are just a few of the ways in which God has begun to change my life and is continually changing my life. But as I was reading through this, I got to verse 10, and that stopped me because as I talked about, not only is it the power of Christ changing me on the inside, but it's also participation in his sufferings. And what in the world does that mean? How many of you like to suffer? Put up your hand. Exactly. I don't see any hands here. I'd have been surprised if there was, and I'm not, I don't like to enjoy suffering either. But somehow God calls us to participate in the sufferings of Jesus. And none of us like to do that. And what does that look like? As I was reflecting on it this week, I came across the verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation, which puts it a little bit different. There's a couple of translations that are, are kind of give a different view on it, but I like this one in the New Living where he says, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, that is Jesus, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. God wants, Jesus went through suffering. He suffered, though he didn't need to, but he suffered anyways because he, he went through all kinds of trials and temptation. Temptation is suffering. Because when, when you're tempted, you want to do something that you shouldn't be doing. And so to say no to it means you're not giving in to a fleshly desire, and so you're having to suffer a certain amount. Which leads us to the question of this. What areas have you experienced the power of Jesus in? That's the first question. Where have you seen Jesus radically change your life? Where have you seen Jesus bring about transformation? Has it been in things like pride? Has it been in anger? Has it been in, in, in um, self-control, letting go of self-control? Has it been in, in, in your identity issues? Has it been in maybe areas of lying or cheating or lusting or coveting? or Like where have you seen the power of Jesus at, life, at work in your life? You need to be able to have a list of ways in which you have seen Jesus change you. Even recently. Not just, I remember when Jesus changed my, came into my life when I was three years old. Or five years old. Or as a teenager. But even as an adult, 
We need to be seeing God come in and change. Where have you experienced the power of Jesus in your life? And the second one is, how has your suffering led you to see Jesus' power? Because when we suffer, Jesus can, his, his, his power, his life, the spirit in us can allow us to overcome suffering. And we can see Jesus in that as well, in the suffering. What areas have you experienced the power of Jesus in? And how has your suffering led you to see Jesus' power? Those are great questions to share with people around you. Don't just take them and going, okay, yeah, it's good. Okay, what, what else you got? No, these are things, these are deep things. These are deep things we need to be reminded of. Cherise talked about that this morning in the loss that she experienced this last year and how Jesus was present in the midst of the loss, in the midst of the suffering. We need to constantly be reminded that we need to look for Jesus to be changing us, constantly changing us, encouraging us. And if you're saying, well, you know, I'm not really sure I need Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good right now. I don't think I need. You better look at your life again because John tells us in 1 John very quickly, he says, if you think you don't need me, you don't need God, guess what? You, you, that's the time you really need God. Don't say that, you're, that you haven't sinned or that you don't need God because you're, you're, you're good. Those are the times when we need God the most because right there and then, pride already supersedes us and we have to deal with that issue. But we need Him to constantly be changing us. Not that we, become, we feel like we're a doormat and we're nothing. That's not what I'm talking about here. But it's the power of Jesus to change us into becoming who he wants us to be, which is somebody for him in the way he sees us. We need him. We need him. Paul goes on to say, even Paul said this. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 3. Look how Paul, this, this mighty apostle who had all these good things going for him, he says this, not that I've already attained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but I, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is years after Paul has has has. has living his life in Christ, he says, I'm, I'm still pushing. I'm still straining. There's more I want God to do in me. There's more I need to see him do. There's more I want to see the resurrected power of Jesus in me, not just in saving individuals, in healing people, but in my life. There's a, there's a, a, a theolo theological term says, already but not yet, or already and not yet. And what that means is, we have everything we need in Christ, and yet experientially that has to be worked its way out. In other words, this, it's, it's like what they call positional and experiential sanctification. Positional is right now, if we've trusted Christ, we could die, and Jesus will look at us as perfect. 
before the very throne of God because he's looking through us through the lens of Jesus, because the blood of Jesus covers us. But we all know that experientially we're not perfect, yet God sees us as perfect. And so we're working that part of it out on the inside of our lives. It's already and not yet. In other words, we've already experienced part all of that God has for us, and yet not yet. There's parts of it that we're still experiencing. And there's this whole thing of positionally, we, 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 God sees us as holy, and yet experientially, we're, we're still working those things out in our lives because we're not perfect. And Paul expressed that. He says, yeah, God has saved me, and yet I'm still working through some of these things. He says, I press on. And so he challenges us, don't give up, don't give up. And then in in the last part of this chapter, he says this, he says in verse 17, he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In other words, follow people around you. And we're going to be talking more about small groups and connecting with believers and doing things together in the, coming, in the coming weeks. But that's what he's talking about here, is follow people around you. But he says, you know, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And then but remember that others are going to be looking at you as you follow others. For as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. There is hope, people. There is hope for everyone. Young and old, there's hope. He says, follow Jesus and follow others and do it together. So this last question is, who are you encouraged through? Who encourages you? Who, who do you look to? It, it may not even be a person that are part of SIAC. It may be someone who's written a book or another message that you've heard or another friend of yours that lives elsewhere or whatever. Who are you encouraged through? Because we need to recognize those people as they speak into our lives. Who are you encouraged through? So as we close this morning, I want to just bring those, those questions, all of those questions back on the screen. What or who do you put your trust in? What areas have you experienced the power of Jesus in? How has suffering led you to see Jesus' power? And lastly, who are you encouraged through? Who are you encouraged through? God wants to do a great work in and through us, and he wants to do it in us on stage in front of everyone else. Now, most people, one of the greatest fears, even than flying, is to be a public speaker. So I'm told. 
And yet, God says all of us are on stage. All of us are on stage because everyone else is watching us. Not that we have to perform perfectly. That's not what he's saying here. But the power of the living Jesus, the resurrected Christ, needs to be so seen in our lives that people are encouraged both by our successes and maybe not so much by our failures, but at least by our transparencies and how we deal with our failures. And guess what? When that happens, all of us are encouraged. How many of you were encouraged by Sharice's testimony this morning? Put up your hand if you were. Yeah, lots of hands. But that took courage on her part. It was a, a, her point of weakness. And yet God used that to encourage all of us. And that's what, God, that's what we see. We don't, we don't, we see her and we're encouraged because we're going, yeah, I can identify with her in her loss. Mine was different. But I am encouraged by that. And that's what God calls us. We need each other to do this together. Let's close in prayer together and then Mabel's going to lead us in a closing song. God, we're so humbled as we look at the life of Paul. I mean, out of anybody in the New Testament other than Jesus, Paul had it all together. I mean, I know his first part of his life was kind of a mess. But boy, God, did he ever have stuff lined up at the end. You, you worked in his life. He did miracles. He preached the gospel. He did everything right. And yet he said, I count all of that, all the good things that I've done as garbage because all I want to know is Jesus, you, and your resurrection and your power at work in my life. God, we, it's not a new message. We've heard this message before. We've been reminded to focus on Jesus and everything that goes with it, put our trust in him and it's not a new message yet God it's new to us today because there's areas of our life that you're calling us to surrender to you things that we need to let go of not put faith in not put trust in no matter how good they are no matter how safe they may be in whatever that might be God you're calling us to believe you for a new season in our life of obedience and faith in you so Jesus come meet us each of us, we got different stuff we got to let go, different garbage bags we're going to toss, different things we're going to let go of. God, be with us. Move in our hearts. Move in my heart, God. Show me new things that I need to let go of because, God, I want to be the man that you want me to be. I want to be the person you want me to be. I want to follow you the way you want me to, to follow you. Regardless of what people say around me, I want to follow you. And God, I want people to look at me and going, that was a tough call, but that was a good call. That We're seeing God work in your life, and that's a good thing. God, may we all be encouraged by each other as we seek to follow you and keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And God, we give you praise now. Amen.